I'm stoked. You stoked? I'm stoked. Just I'm stoked. so stoked. What's up, everyone? I'm Dina Kupfer from CBS 13 and Good Day Sacramento. Thanks so much for subscribing to Friday Freshies podcast. It is Friday, February 1st, and you're listening to episode 8. So I've been off for a couple weeks now skiing in Japan, and wow, it really is all it's cracked up to be light, fluffy snow, and I spent a lot of time in the white room, my friends. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's basically the snow so deep that it was hitting me in my face and I could only see white. It was amazing. Um, You can check out some of my photos on my Instagram page, at Dina Kupfer, and I really encourage anyone out there, if you're ever contemplating taking a trip to Japan, do it. Do it now. Back here at home, get ready for another round of serious snow this weekend. I know it dumped while I was gone, and now another round is on the way. A winter storm watch is in effect from Friday afternoon through Saturday night for Lake Tahoe and eastern Alpine County. So this is in ranges about seven to 8,000 feet. We could see two to three feet of snow. That is what's forecast as of now to dump between Friday to Sunday morning, and the snow levels could drop down to about 3,500 feet. Of course, not as much snow down at that level, but we really will see some traffic delays. If you're heading up to the Sierra, please check the road status ahead of time. Both Interstate 80 and US 50 will likely be experiencing blizzard-like conditions. The last time that happened, there were spinouts and road closures. So plan on the possibility of chairs being put on wind hold and avalanche concerns as well. I'm sure there will be a lot of Abbey control in the mornings before the resorts open. But if you have any plans to go into the backcountry, check out the Sierra Avalanche Center's website before Beforehand, know the risk and know what you need to do safely. Temperatures will be in the 30s with overnight lows dropping into the teens and potentially single digits. That's great for the snow quality, but it's going to be real cold. So bundle up, pack some blankets and snacks for the car just in case you get stuck and be sure to drive safe. All right, now let's get to our fresh topic of the week. Did you know when it comes to recreational skiers, more women are prone to knee injuries than men? While no one wants to talk about injuries or deal with that in any way, in today's podcast, we want to bring you some really good information from a local doctor about why this is and, more importantly, what you can do to prevent season-ending injuries. I personally experienced a torn ACL and meniscus four seasons ago. It takes a full year to recover, and it is not any fun, but... There are ways to prevent this from happening. So I want to have you all listen in now to my interview with Dr. Cassandra Lee. She's an assistant professor of orthopedic surgery at UC Davis Medical Center in Sacramento. Thank you, first of all, for being with us today. We appreciate your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, Okay, let's start with injuries in skiers and snowboarders when it comes to male and female, there is a little bit of a difference when you compare the men and the women to getting injuries of the knees and and ACLs and meniscus tears and things like that. So by far in alpine skiing, the biggest injury is actually to the knee. So if you break it down in terms of looking at elite skiers versus kind of the younger, more, you know, Joe Schmo, like you and me type skiing, the elite skiers actually have an equal number of ACL tears between males and females. But interestingly enough, if you look at more of the recreational type skier, there is a higher number of women who have ACL tears compared to men. And that can be up to a two to eight time fold increase. Why is that? Oh, there is. You just opened up Pandora's box. <laughs> there are so many factors that we studied looking at what can be the cause of an ACL tear in a woman. So if you look at the numbers, actually, interestingly enough, before puberty, the numbers are equal. Boys and girls have the same injury uh, incidence. But once puberty happens, so what happens with, with girls? Girls start developing hips, right? So now the hip is angled into the knee. So then 
a lot of times the angle to the uh, the um, stress to the knee joint is going to be different, mm. and so that's part of it. Okay. Right? The other parts are certainly well, boys or girls, what's different? Hormones, right? So one idea is that hormones can actually affect affect laxity for women. So we actually did a study here at UC Davis uh, looking at ligaments and the effects of estrogen on ligaments, and we found that actually. The estrogen actually changes the cross-linking, so that means it's how the ligament uh, catches together and links up like a ladder, and it actually, estrogen actually decreases that. Wow. So there is a physiologic reason why ligaments are going to be a little bit laxer with estrogen, so that may actually correlate with the menstrual cycle. Mm. Okay. Other factors. Men are much bigger than women, right? So if you look at anatomic issues, the knee joint itself is going to be a little bit different. So there is a notch, which is the middle part of the femur bone. And what lives in there is the ACL and the PCL. So women tend to have more narrower notches. So if you imagine that there's two ligaments that need to sit in there, then it is a smaller area that can be more risk of actual injury. You can't go around changing everyone's anatomy. That's not what we're saying. Right. I'm not going to go operate on every single knee for every skier that goes out on the slopes. <laughs> um, but so you can't change that factor. The other factors you can change are looking at maybe what we call neuromuscular control. We know that the mechanics of landing for a woman are very different than what for men uh, do. So um, if you look at how women land, specifically you've seen like the YouTube videos of women landing from, say, a basketball jump or any type of jumping or decelerating sport where they're changing directions really quickly. Mm -hmm. Women tend to land with a more upright trunk. They also land very flat-footed. And they also have a little bit of weakness more in their hip external rotator, so the little butt muscles. So what happens is that knee will end up falling a little more into what we call valgus, which is pointing inwards. And then if they're more upright, that puts a lot of stress on the ACL. So this is the perfect storm of what causes an ACL tear. Ah. So when you are seeing patients who have these types of injuries, recovery, does recovery change between men and women? Recovery should be, actually, yes. Recovery is going to be a little bit different between men and women. The goal of recovery is going to be the same. We treat all our athletes the same, or you know, anyone who has an ACL tear, we treat them the same. How well you do after surgery depends on how well you rehab your knee. Not just your knee, your core strength, your small butt muscle strength, the hip external rotators, so that's what we're going to call them, the little tiny butt muscles, yeah. um, and also your hamstrings as well as your quads. How well you can rehab that tells me how well you can protect your knee and let you get back to play. Got it. Are there things that women specifically should be doing before taking on a sport where there's going to be a lot of pivoting, jumping, landing, uh, torque to the knee? Is there something extra that women can do? Absolutely. There is so much research out there, what we call prehab protocols. So there have been a lot of studies looking at, because we know that women have a higher risk for ACL tears, two to eight times. I mean, that's incredibly different, right? Um, if we can prevent that tear, I mean, that's, a big, that's the best that's policy, right? If you right. can prevent it from happening, let's, let's do it. So there are studies out there that show, like, what can women focus on in terms of strengthening? The biggest thing is if you look at just simple things, the quad to hamstring ratio, right? You look at muscles that are what we call antagonist and antagonist, so like the forward reverse, like their match, their pair. Women tend to have a lot more quadriceps strength compared to their hamstring strength. Now, remember, the quadriceps is that thigh muscle in the front of the leg. Right. Your hamstring is that thigh muscle in the back of the leg. Women tend to be more quad dominant than men. So meaning we have maybe a four to one ratio as opposed to a two to three, three to two ratio. Okay. So one of the simplest things you can start off with is getting strength to your hamstring. So um, deadlifts, um, hamstring curls. Um, and then if you move it up north a little bit, I, I, I talked to you about doing the little butt muscles, yes. right? So the hip external rotator. So it's that butt thigh junction. So you can get a great butt lift 
in addition to strengthening yourself <laughs> up and getting you ready for that sport. And who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want a butt lift, right? <laughs> so you're looking at that butt-thigh junction. So um, looking at bridge work. So bridges are a great exercise. They are probably one of the most painful and uncomfortable things to do, and you're waiting to not have that cramp in your hamstring, but that builds that strength, and that's what can protect that knee, ultimately. Okay. What would your advice be to people who, uh, you know, already love the sport, already want to keep going, but maybe they are starting to feel a little achiness in their knees. Is there something that maybe they should be coming into the doctor before it gets bad? I mean, is there, is there a level of, okay, if you start to feel pain, maybe get it checked out? It's always a good policy if you're starting to feel pain. Like if you have swelling, that's always a good sign that says that your knee is doing something you shouldn't be doing. Your right. knee is telling you, hey, I, there's something going on. Yeah. So swelling is a good way to, a good idea to, to actually go see a physician. Um, I think if you have general achiness, you know, like if you haven't been uh, doing your sport or conditioning over the summer and you, all of a sudden you're like, hey, we just got, was it 18 to 24 inches of snow up in Tahoe <laughs> yeah. right now? Let's hit the slopes. Right. But if you haven't been doing an exercise program, it's probably, you can't go all out yeah. when you hit the slopes. Yeah. So preconditioning is probably a good place to start. Okay. I do want to talk to you a little bit about the types of surgeries there are, if we can, just because uh, somebody who has gone through the ACL surgery and the meniscus surgery, I was given a platter of different options of what yes. I could do to yeah. do the surgery. Um, and ultimately, my doctor and I decided on the hamstring because we felt that that was going to be the best option for me. But I know there are a lot of different options. So can you go over some of them and maybe why some work for, for others and, and why my, maybe not some for the other people? Absolutely. I think it's very difficult to say which which graft is best, Yeah, right? We've done a, lots of research in trying to say, okay, which one's better? It's like picking your favorite child, right? <laughs> so ideally, we can break it down first very simply. The first one is autograft, your own tissue, versus allograft, a cadaver tissue. The beauty about being in this country is that we have the luxury of having organ donors, tissue donors, and I think that's just the generosity of this country. That's not necessarily the same thing as what you see internationally. Right. right? So... If we just talk uh, autograph versus allograft, any way you look at it, autograph tissue, your own tissue is probably going to be better. Got it. Um, it's because it's not out of the body. It's not processed. You know, there's no detergents to kill the bacteria. There's no radiation to make sure that there's no disease transmission, right? So your own tissue is going to be better. There is a study out there that looks at collegiate athletes versus, you know, 40-year-old weekend warriors, myself, right? Yeah. Um, so when you look at collegiate athletes who they're going to be working out five days a week, they're going to be tur doing tournaments on the weekend. So they're very active. Failure rates for your own tissue can reach up to about 5%. Okay. Because okay, you're going to be going out there and going for it, right? Yeah. Failure tissue for an allograft, a cadaver tissue, can reach up to 20%. Oh, wow. 20%, one in five. Wow. Right? If you look at those numbers and translate it to like that weekend warrior 40-year-old who, you know, goes to the gym, maybe has a basketball tournament on the weekend type thing, you're looking at failure rate of 3% for an allograft, 1% for your own tissue. Wow. Okay. So the ratios are still probably about the same, you know, three to four to one versus um, just how much activity you do. Mm. So first off the bat, you have to decide, is autograph better or allograph? So a lot of my teenage athlete, young 20-something athletes, I'm like, I really, really strongly advise taking your own tissue. When you hit your 30s, depends on how active you are, you know. So I would say, you know, I was still playing volleyball two, three days a week um, up through probably my mid to late 30s. And I would say I would definitely take my own tissue at that time. Got it. Now that I'm in my 40s, don't play as much as I like to, probably because I can't. But the reality is I would probably take cadaver tissue at this point. Because, but that's my personal choice. Right. But as a, my job is to come back and be a surgeon, be a physician. You know, my job is not to be that athlete that I used to be. Right, right, so, right. Within the autograph group, there's you know, two main choices. There's maybe a third choice that's becoming a little bit more popular. 
So the classic choices are the patellar tendon is number one. So what we call it is a BTB graft. So bone, tendon, bone. So you're looking at a little bit of your patella, which is your kneecap, central third of your patellar tendon, which is that tendon in the front of your knee, and then a little bit of bone on your tibia. So it's a bone, tendon, bone graft. Okay. So we drill holes in your tibia, which is your leg bone, another hole in your femur bone, your thigh bone, and then we put this graft through. Got it. So the bone, tendon, bone graft is about a little bit stronger than your normal ACL. So maybe, uh, yeah, just a little bit stronger. Uh, the graft itself will heal very quickly because now it's healing bone to bone. So it heals like a fracture. So your, your graft is going to heal and incorporate within six weeks. Wow. That being said, no, 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 you can't get back and playing. Oh. No, 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 no. You still <laughs> got to rehab. Oh, okay. You still got to rehab. But the graft does incorporate. The got difficult it. part about patellar tendon is that you're taking a chunk out of the front of the knee. Right. So kneeling does become painful. You will always notice when you kneel on something hard. Mm. So For your whole life. Your whole life. Okay. We try to make it a little bit better by trying to fill in that hole in, in that kneecap with the bone that comes from your uh, tunnel drilling, but sometimes it's just you will probably have anterior knee pain. Got it. And that's just a known complication, if you will. Okay. The hamstring tendon, so the hamstring are the muscles on the back of the thigh. Right. Remember, we, I talked about how important the hamstring is to protecting that ACL. Yep. So you can make an argument that maybe taking a hamstring isn't that great, right? Because if you're robbing something that was weak to begin with, are you going to make it worse? That's the great debate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the hamstring tendon, um, we take typically the ones on the medial side, which is a part on the inside part of the knee. And so that's what we call semitendinosus and gracilis tendons. And what we do is we take the two tendons, we fold them over, so now you have a quadrupled graft, and then now we put it into the same tunnels. The graft is going to take a little bit longer to heal because now the tendon has to heal to the bone and become a ligament. Right. Rehab is going to be the same between the two, but the graft itself is probably maybe looking at about two times as strong as the ACL. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, and it depends on what, you know, what school of thought you are as to which graft is better. There's been thousands of studies looking at trying to figure out which one's better. We just know patellar tendon, you're going to have anterior knee pain. Hamstring, some people say that maybe you lose a little bit of that sprint ability, um, but it's something we haven't really truly measured. There is some evidence now in the literature that the hamstring does have a slightly higher failure rate. So if you pull all the studies that we've done since the beginning of time, it looks like that the the hamstring has maybe a little bit higher failure rate than patellar tendon. Okay. Um, and then finally, there's a new graft choice, a, a newer graft choice. Um, it's become a little bit more popular. It's the quadriceps tendon. Oh. Yeah, it's very interesting. So mm -hmm. they, take, they make an incision uh, usually a little bit above your kneecap okay. and take a little, the central third of your patellar tendon. So it's a nice, robust, thick graft. Got it. Um, so it's a big, just soft tissue piece of collagen that they put in there. And so far, results seem to be looking pretty good. But I can't tell you the five-year outcome. I can't tell you the 10-year. It's still one of those new things we're still looking at. Okay, got it, got it. Now, for, for people who have suffered knee injuries, are they more prone to re-injuring that knee again down the road? Or could it even be that they injure the other knee because they're putting different amount of weight when they probably shouldn't be on That's their... a very good question. <laughs> and, well, what do you think? I mean, for me personally, I am terrified of hurting my knee that I had surgery on, so I probably right. do favor the other side now, which okay. means I'm probably putting more pressure on it. Yes. So the <laughs> interesting torque. thing is, yeah. So the interesting <laughs> thing is, if you look at the data as as to who, which knee is going to get more injured. So about a year or two after your return to play, so uh -huh. getting back into your normal activities after you've rehabbed really well and stuff, the risk of tearing the side that you just had surgery on is about nine percent. Where do you think the risk is over the other oh, side? Oh, gosh. Higher More, or lower? Higher, for sure. It is higher. It's 18 20%. Wow. So it's double the risk. Wow. So that goes back to the idea of you really got to work on your neuromuscular training, work on your landing mechanics, working on your strength, core muscles, little butt muscles, 
thigh muscles, specifically if you're a woman, looking at your hamstring strength versus your quad. We all can, you know, squat until the cows come home, right? But a lot of it's going to be, we're all quad dominant. Yeah. You got to work on really getting that hamstring stronger. Okay. Now I know your job depends on you seeing patients like me. Yes. Uh, so this is really great that you're willing to go there with me for this interview because I think it's really vital information. What's your takeaway? What are you hoping everyone kind of can, can come home with after, after talking to me about this and knowing that there is this difference between men and women, especially in, in the downhill alpine skiing. What's the takeaway here? The takeaway is conditioning and actually lowering your limits. So looking at some of the alpine ski injuries that are out there, a lot of times when you see um, skiers get actually getting injured, it's because their um, equipment doesn't quite match their skill level. So I'm not saying don't push yourself. I think that's fantastic to keep on pushing yourself to be better, stronger, whatever. But also know what your limits are. Because if your bindings are too tight, your skis are too aggressive, and you get in that situation where you're maybe a little bit out of control. So where you get in trouble, especially for women, is that when you start falling a little bit backward on your ski, yep. and then your ski starts torquing out inwards and your knee starts cranking inwards, yep. that's where things pop. That's where mine especially, pops. Especially if your bindings don't let go. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. So I think knowing having the right equipment is number one and having good form is number two. But how do you get good form? So my takeaway is make sure to condition. You should have good core strength. You have, should have good little butt muscle strength. So what little butt muscles are, let me say again, is to rotate that hip outwards. I, I know it doesn't quite make sense to like, kind of layman, but the, the point is when you jump and land, your knee should be pointing in front of, towards your toes. Mm. You not shouldn't inward. be landing. Yeah, not inward. Inward's right. bad. Yes. So, that, so if you kind of crank your leg out a little bit, that's the little butt muscle I'm talking about. Okay. And then, of course, get those hamstrings and quads back to being conditioned. So make sure that quad is, uh, I'm sorry, your hamstring is a lot stronger. So bridges, deadlifts, the dreaded bridge. I mean, (laughs) it's a lot of bang for your buck. All right. Anything else, Dr. Lee, you want to add? It's ski season. It's great. It's exciting. We have, what, two feet of snow being dumped out yesterday. We have how much more snow coming in tonight? Another three feet maybe this weekend. Oh, gosh. (laughs) It's going to be exciting. But, you know, as much as we all want to jump out there and get a real fresh powder day, um, really know what your limitations are. I mean, I want you guys to go have fun, but be safe because ultimately... I really don't mind if you come and see me, but if you don't have to see a surgeon, I think that's going to be a better policy. Yeah, that's the best bet for sure. That is the best bet. Prevention is actually the key. Yeah, for sure. Doctor, thank you so very much. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. You're amazing. Thank you. You're welcome. Again, you were just listening to my interview with Dr. Cassandra Lee, Assistant Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at UC Davis Medical Center. Such great information. And that's going to do it for our Friday Freshies podcast today, Episode 8. Thank you again for subscribing. And remember, tell your friends about this podcast. We will continue to bring you the latest ski and snowboard industry news and, of course, your weather updates every week. Don't forget to join us on Good Day Sacramento Friday mornings to hear the stoked word of the day. I put the anchors to the test. I'm going to have them guess what White Room is this week. So you've got to join us and see what they guess. All right, I'm Dina Kupfer. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy all those powder turns this weekend and drive safe up to the Sierra.